2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you. For a few moments, I want to talk about where I believe the church went wrong in America. When we come to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and 7, bring a moving conclusion to Paul's explanation of his ministry. When you look in the Word of God, he told them, in spite of the trials, in spite of the testings that he went through, he had a triumphal ministry. Read about that in 1 Corinthians uh, verses, chapters 1 and 2. He talked about a glorious ministry he had uh, in chapter 3, and he'd never ever think about quitting regardless of the trials and tests that he went through. Uh, his enemies had accused Paul of using the ministry uh, for personal gain. But when you come to chapter 4, uh, you find that Paul said, I am God called, and I am God ordained, and everything that I do, I do from a heart of simplicity in order to please my God. And then later, his ministry was based on faith in God, uh, as you see in chapter 5. But then Paul now had the opportunity and the challenge of winning over those Corinthian believers to let them know, I do indeed love you as a pastor and as a friend. And you look at the last two chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, and there you will find that's precisely what Paul was trying to do, show them just how much love and dedication he had toward those people. With that background in mind, look again at the text. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. One of the greatest obstacles in the progress of the gospel and the spread of Christianity is the bad example of people who themselves profess uh, to be Christian. I remind you that unsaved people will point to the inconsistencies in the life of a disciple of Christ and particularly in the life of a preacher, if you will, and use that as an excuse uh, for turning down the message of Jesus Christ and rejecting uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul was very careful uh, to live his life in such a way that it would not be a stumbling block to the sinner or the saint alike. Uh, he said within his own ministry, he did not want his ministry to be discredited or blamed in any way uh, because of the life that he lived that would bring reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, with that being said, there's a lot of pressure in the world today, both from the political world and the religious world, that we should keep our religion inside the church behind the stained glass windows of society. There are many out there that are trying to cram down our throats today uh, that there is no room for Christianity uh, on the workplace, uh, in the government, or anywhere at all in life. Keep it right here within the church. And they're also trying to cram down our throat that we can't even have church in our own territory uh, anymore as well. I remind you that we have been granted freedom by the United States Constitution. We have freedom of religion. And there are many trying to tell us that we have freedom from religion. But nothing could be any more contrary than that. I remind you that our nation was founded upon the Judeo-Christian ethic, and I thank God that the laws that we have have come primarily from the Word of the living God. There are those in the world today that hate God, they hate the church, and they hate the Word of God. And they're doing everything in their power to silence us and to shut us up and to make it sound like we better find our corner to sit in uh, while they rule the roost. Let me tell you something. We are the people, and as 
the people, we have a God-given right and we have a God-given mandate uh, to stand in this world and let our light shine uh, to be who God has called us to be, to do what God has called us to do and to go where God has called us to go to give a powerful message uh, to the message in which we live. Let me tell you, friend, you can have all the religion that you want. You can keep all the rules and regulations that you want. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking today about those of us that have a relationship with our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed this nation uh, far beyond uh, what we thought he would ever do. We cannot separate our spiritual life from our natural life. Yet too many professional Christians have done that very thing and I believe that's what's gone wrong in America. That's one of many things that I think we've done wrong. We've tried to separate our spiritual life from our natural life. For instance, I read of a man the other day. <clears throat> he was speaking at a men's prayer breakfast. He said, I am a Christian and I am a, a businessman. But he said, I am not a Christian businessman. Let's think it again. He said, I am a Christian and I am a businessman, but I am not a Christian businessman. That's impossible. Jesus is either the Lord of our life or he is not the Lord of our life at all. The words of this businessman is telling. I, I go to church on Sunday morning. I profess to be a Christian on Sunday morning, but I do not give him access to my life a Monday through Saturday. Friend, that's something I believe it's very terrible today. As nonsensical as that explanation from the businessman sounded, that seems to be no longer an exception, and I believe that explains where we're going wrong in America today. The American church has adopted the form of a platonic, a Gnostic ism, if you will. That's how we live our so-called Christian life. That's how you explain an Oklahoma governor some time ago was presiding over a national day of prayer. And then just a few days later, uh, turned down the opportunity uh, to end a bill, ending uh, support a bill that was ending uh, abortion. Again, this woman is a Christian on Sunday. But not a Christian, apparently, a Sunday, a Monday through Saturday. We need to be who we are in this church. If we're a hypocrite here, we'll be a hypocrite there. But if we're in love with Jesus here, we better be in love with him out there. If he's changed our life in here, it better show that it's changing on the way out there. That's how professing Christians from all denominations today can run a conservative Christian campaign. And then once they're voted into office, they legalize the expansion of gambling. They legalize the expansion of liquor. And they legalize the expansion of abortion. And they legalize the expansion of homosexual agenda. Rather than reading and applying the Bible to their lives, they have spiritualized the literal, practical teaching of God's Word. And we have compartmentalized the Word of God to different segments of our life. It's like a paper plate. We have different compartments on that paper plate. Christianity's not that way, friend. If he's touched my life here, it's going to reflect in everything I do, in my business deal, in my life, in my politics, in everything I do. I believe that Christianity has got to have a hold of all of my life. Now, as you know, the context in scripture, uh, interpreting Scripture, it's important to know the context. It's probably understand the Bible. You have to know who is writing. You have to know who he's writing to. And you have to know what the author is writing about. We understand that. That's good exegesis in trying to interpret the Word of God. The books of the Bible, for the most part, were comprised and given to us primarily by Jewish 
people. A Jewish audience writing about a Jewish Messiah who happened to be the God of creation and the Savior of the entire world. The Hebrew mentality was understood. As you well know, on the day of Pentecost, the church was made up 100% of Jewish people. But as the church began to grow and began to reach out further, uh, now they begin to take the gospel uh, into Greece, into Asia, and into parts of Rome. And now the gospel was not just going to the Jewish community. The gospel now was going from the Jew into uh, the pagan Gentile world. However, the expansion of the gospel and the receiving of pagan converts, the Greek line of thought began to creep into the church. The Greek line of thinking into the church and now they were mixing Gnosticism with the word of the living God. Much of the New Testament addresses the era of Gnosticism. Peter wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. John wrote about the era of Gnosticism in the epistles that they themselves were writing. Well pastor what is Gnosticism? Here's a synopsis. The Greeks viewed the flesh is irredeemably wicked. The spiritual is good, but the physical is evil. Only the soul can be redeemed. Get that. Only the soul can be redeemed. The body is sinful. The body is earthly. Uh, the body uh, is an enemy. And this led to their logical conclusion, but a conclusion that was wrong, that stated that Jesus did not come in the flesh. After all, how could that which is holy and pure become evil? They theorized that Jesus was only a phantom spirit, not a man. If Jesus walked the seashore, he didn't leave footprints uh, because he was a phantom, not a man. When Jesus was baptized in the river of Jordan, that Jesus man uh, might have been anointed, but then when that Jesus uh, went to the cross, that same Jesus ceased to be a man, and now is a phantom that died on the cross for the sins of the entire world. Either way, they denied that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. They deny that our Creator actually gave His life for a sinful fallen creation. Now this mentality of separating the spirit from the physical also led to the conclusion that you can separate your physical life from your spiritual life. In fact, they said, sin all you want to with your body, but keep your heart pure. That's what Gnosticism is. Sin all you want with your body, just keep your heart pure. My question is, how do you separate the two? That is the modern day Gnosticism that we're dealing with in the church today. How stupid is that? To say the body sins, but the heart doesn't. If that's the case, I'm a bigger sinner than Charlie, because I weigh more than he does. How irrational can that be today? The Bible says that if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not know the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The apostle Paul said, know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. The Greeks thought only the flesh or the physical does these things, but the real you doesn't. It's only your body committing adultery and idolatry. It's only your body that's a drunkard. 
You're a real you, man. You're fine. That's a lie from the very pit of hell. And that's the thinking that was coldly contrary uh, to the teachings and the integrity of God's Word. Paul said, wherever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He further stated, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray that your whole spirit and your body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's Gnosticism. By the same token, we've adopted the same separation into that we have so, so compartmentalized Christianity. We can serve the Lord in church and be a Christian, but out in the world, whatever we want to do, baby. I have got to an altar and I've accepted the Lord as my Savior. I've shipped my soul off to heaven when I die. Now don't you cramp my lifestyle Monday through Saturday because it's only my body that's sinning. That's a crock if I've ever heard it, church. Yeah. We've emphasized and we've adopted the belief that Christianity is something that we do on Sunday morning, but we don't allow this church thing to interfere with our lives Monday through Saturday. We have our spiritual life, and we place all the sacred things in that compartment on church on Sunday morning. Uh, we may have a Bible reading on Monday morning, and we may pray a prayer on the way to work, and that's our compartment. But friend, when we're at work, we don't let our light shine. I saw this so clearly when I first got saved. I worked in a mining machinery factory in the mountains of Virginia. I walked in there as an unsaved 19-year-old boy. And when I walked in, I saw two men that claimed to be a Christian. And yet the men would take God's name in vain, and those two professing Christians, they would sit there and laugh at their jokes. They would chew their tobacco. They'd do everything the sinners did. But oh, they'd get around their table and said, Okay, I'm going to church on Sunday. They wouldn't bow their head over their meal. Not that that don't make you a Christian. But what I'm saying, if they hadn't told me they were a Christian, I would not have known it. They simply went to church on Sunday morning and they loved the Lord there, but they did not take that same Jesus to work with them Monday through Friday. And I'm not being their judge. I'm just telling you what I saw. How can the Lord that we love here on Sunday, how can we do the things in the world that he came to die for and deliver us from if it's still part of who we are? Are you hearing me? Oh, yeah. We've got to be extremely careful today, church. What part of your life is Jesus not the Lord of? We've, we've compartmentalized our Christianity to this building or maybe to a certain segment of our life at home where everything is going well. You come and knock on the door to visit and all you got the Bible out and Christian music is playing. But then you go to work and that same stuff you left home, you're not living it now at work. When I say you, I say that. Generically, and you understand that. When Thomas fell on the knees as Jesus stood before him in that resurrected body, he cried out, My Lord and my God. He was not asking Jesus to be his Lord on Sunday. He recognized he'd come face to face with the resurrected Christ, and you are my God, you are my Savior, you are my Lord. I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say, and I will be what you want me to be 24-7 every day of the week. You are my Lord, and you are my Savior. Christianity is not something that we do, and church is not someplace we attend on Sunday morning. Christianity is who we are, disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ 
all the days of our life. The God that we worship here today is the God we're going to live for tomorrow and tomorrow night, even when it's not politically correct, even when people may persecute us, even when people may laugh at us, we still stand on the side of the truth and the side of righteousness. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, praise God. True Christianity means a person has come face to face with a resurrected Christ. We recognize and believe that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which that includes you and me. We know that if we die without Jesus Christ, we will be separated from God throughout eternity, and we will burn forever and ever in the flames of fire that were created for the devil and his angels. We know that understand that, we, that Jesus stepped out of eternity into time to redeem us in time that we might be ready uh, for all of eternity. We know and believe that God gave his only son to be our perfect sacrificial lamb and thank God the blood that he shed has cleansed us from sin but I'm here to tell you salvation is not just get out of hell pass free it is a life that we embrace and a hand that we hold and a lifestyle that we live until the day we go home he knew no sin but he became sin for us. He died as our sacrifice lamb, but he rose from the grave, thank God, and paid the price of justification. I am grateful that when I sin and we all have come short of God's glory, if we call upon him to be our savior, he cleanses from all sin. He writes our names down the Lamb's book of life. He rose from the grave that we are justified, meaning just if I had never sinned in the sight of God. And that works for me in the church. And thank God it works for me outside these walls as well. The chains of death could not hold him down. The grave could not hold him down. I thank God nobody, nothing could hold him down. Politics couldn't shut him up. Uh, governors couldn't hush him up. Uh, Pharaohs couldn't silence him. Uh, Neros couldn't say don't do this. Thank God he let his light shine. It may have got him killed but thank God he outlived the pallbearers, praise God. I want a religion that does more than make me religious. I want a salvation that prepares me for this world and and make sure I get on the other side okay. Yeah. And that's all because of Jesus Christ, my Lord. We can fall like Thomas, my Lord and my God. Paul said, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God that raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation and lordship are understood in the Hebrew mentality. You can't separate them. I said salvation and lordship, you don't separate. The natural result of falling to your knees and calling on the resurrected Jesus as personal savior is to acknowledge that he is your God. He is your rabbi. He is your teacher. Remember the Shema means to hear, to listen, to obey, and to do. And brother, if I pronounced that wrong, forgive me. What did Paul, the Hebrew scholar and apostle of the Gentiles, tell the Greek Corinthian church in correcting their inherent Greek view and reminding them of the biblical truth? What? Know ye that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? For you are of God and you have not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. And when Paul told the Roman church correcting the inherent Greek 
philosophy and reminding them of the teaching of the Hebrew biblical truth, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are not saved because we have a transformed life. We have a transformed life because we are saved. I read about an evangelist by the name of Alex McFarlane, who was the former president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. He was debating a Muslim cleric by the name of uh, Kilhad Griggs. Dr. McFarlane asked Griggs the following question. Does one have to truly believe in the Shahada, that's the Muslim confession of faith, does one have to truly believe in the Muslim confession of faith to become a Muslim or just say it? And the Iman's answer, oh, you just have to say it. Let me tell you something, in Christianity, you can't just give mental assent. You can't just say he's Lord and then go out and live any way you want to. Saving faith is not simply a mental assent. It's not praying an empty prayer, simply believing some formula or repeating some doctrine. It's not simply a get out of hell free card. The prayer of faith's confession is based upon the revelation that Jesus Christ is indeed God's Son. He is my Savior. I have embraced Him and He has transformed my life. He has called me out of this world to put me back into this world to be a light to the darkness and salt to the world. Saving faith is not a lukewarm rash to believe that the Greek philosophers had. It's just not a mental ascent. Saving faith is believing and trusting and following wholeheartedly the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just being a hearer of God's Word. It's being a doer of God's Word. It's more than a belief that certain statements about God are true. It's a deep-seated trust and reliance which calls forth behavior that's consistent to the teachings of Jesus Christ our Lord. James says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The Great Commission tells the church to go forth and make disciples, not gather crowds. He said to go out and make disciples, not church members, not professors of faith, not a people who repeat a sinner's prayer, but disciples. Disciples. To make disciples were to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Acts 11 says that they were first called Christians at Antioch. What's a Christian? A disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've been to Israel, you'll notice that many times the Jews dress differently. There's a purpose for that. Some of the Orthodox Jews, uh, they're great people, they're good patriarchs. They practice their faith to some degree. They work hard. They serve in the military and so forth. Many of them are just like, in many respects, a blue-collar, working American citizen. But then you have an ultra-conservative orthodox. And these particular people over there are from the Hasidic Jew. They're dressed in black suits or black hats and white shirts. And many dress distinctively different. They wear, some of them wear a different type of hat, different style of coat. A different type of socks. Why do they do that? Why the different dress? They're ultra orthodox, but why do they? Why do they all dress the same? They wear a hat that duplicates the hat the rabbi wears. They wear a cloak 
to imitate the cloak that their particular rabbi wears. Their goal is to become like their rabbi in thought, in manner, in dress, and in speech. A Jewish rabbi does not hand his pupils instructions that they're commanded to follow. They simply walk with him and he teaches them as they walk. Does that ring a bell? So many times we read rules and regulations. I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something, friend. If we'll put our hand in the hand of the barefooted preacher of Galilee, Amen. he'll lead us and lead us. You know, in the Old Testament, when the high priest or the priest went into the, uh, in, into the holy place and there at the, at the candle, uh, at the brazen altar and, and all that, and the, and the altar of incense, what I'm trying to say. And when they brought that incense up before the Lord, which was prayers rising up to the saints, uh, the saints' prayers rising to God. When they walked out of there, they, they could sniff and say, man, they've been in that place. They've been in the presence of God. There was something about the early church that when they walked in the world filled with all of the Gnosticism, filled with all the sin, and filled with all the shame and all the debauchery, there was something about their walk to where the people said, they've been with Jesus. There was something about it. They had been with Jesus. Jesus was already in heaven. Already in heaven. How did they know? Because they were disciples. They walked his walk. They talked his talk. They let the word of God change their life. Change their lifestyle. They took on the mannerism, the speech, the dress, everything about the Lord. They took it upon themselves to be like him. The Hebrew word for walk is halakha. And it means more than simply taking a stroll. Your walk in life refers to your overall lifestyle, including how you conduct yourself morally. The disciples walked with Jesus. They took on his mannerism. They took on his lifestyle. They took on what he did. The early church, when Jesus went to heaven, the early church were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were shut in with God. And what happened? People took knowledge they had been with the Lord. And wherever they went, they turned the world upside down. They were willing to die for the sake of what Jesus had done for them. They were willing to be martyred that they might keep the touch of God upon their life. They did not compromise among any of the people, uh, the governments or whatever. They did not compromise. They would spend nights in jail. They would spend days being flogged. It did not matter. They knew their Redeemer lived. And I am going to rejoice in the fact that I'm worthy to suffer right alongside Jesus Christ. Friend, they had something you and I need. Boy, it's quiet in here this morning. I, I, I wonder, are you even hearing me today? They have something I need. We cannot just have a religion. And we cannot just have a feel-good experience in this service with goosebumps going up down our back. God needs us in this world of political correctness that we might be salvation straight and walk a holy walk in an unholy world. Amen. God's looking for that. In America, we re redefine what it means to live by faith. We believe that believing by faith, uh, we live our lives the way we want to live them, justifying our behavior in the light of the world's wisdom. And then when we mess up, we fall upon our knees, call upon God to fix it for us. That's not living by faith. That's testing God. The Apostle Paul said, the just shall live by faith. He also said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Living by faith means we listen to what Jesus is telling us in his word and then we obey it and then we apply it to our lives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, let your inner beauty exceed 
your outer beauty and let your husband see your love for Christ in the home. Parents, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Avoid the very appearance of evil. Do not commit adultery. Flee fornication. Don't lie. Don't gossip. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't covet. Don't murder. Don't forsake the assembly yourselves together as the manner of some will in these latter days. Be honest in your business. Be just in judgment. Pay your bills. Be generous. Don't be in excessive debt. Let your uh, work be an offering and testimony to the Lord. Do not be lazy. Work like the ant and save lean times. Pray without ceasing. If possible, live peacefully among all men as much as lieth within you. Be you hearers of the word and not doers. Or be you doers of the word and not hearers only. That's what it means to live by faith. That's what every day, not just when it's convenient. But every day of our life, a disciple is one who walks with Jesus day by day, studies his truth, studies his word, and obeys and allows that to come to his life. Why? Because Jesus is much more than our Savior. He is our Lord. George Barna did a study some years ago. And he came to the conclusion on his study that the church today, those that profess Christ as Savior are now living as a post-moderate people. Statistics say that even people that attend church claim to be Bible-believing Christians. This word has very little impact upon their lives anymore. I read or heard the other day of a woman who was a Christian talking to her pastor, and she said, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe I'm going to go to heaven. But she said, I believe in a woman's right to choose. Therefore, I support abortion. Now, friend, I'm not going to be your judge, but I'm going to tell you something. Show me that in God's Word. Well, the Constitution says we can do it. Hang the Constitution. This is the one, friend. Our Constitution was taken from the, the Word of God. The Hebrew Bible is where much of our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, and many of our laws come from. This holy book. And there's an attack on the book today. Attack on the Bible. Attack on the church. Attack on Christianity. Attack on everything. Look at the... I want to go this way. Look at what's happening today with a Supreme Court nomination. What are they coming against? The woman's faith. You can't have that in the courthouse. Why? Keep your religion at home. Keep your religion in church. But it cannot affect the way that you live. It ought to affect the way we live. That's the problem. There are many people who look at the Constitution as though it's a living document and it changes every year according to the situation that we're in. It is not a living document. This is a living document. This Bible. We need constitutional law. I'm going to tell you something, friend. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm challenging every one of us. If we're Christian, I believe we better vote Christian. I don't think we can compartmentalize these things. There's a lot of pressure. Now, if people disagree, that's fine. It's between you and God. There's sometimes, friends, you've got to choose your devil. You go in the ballot box and you hold your nose. There's not a, there's, if you think about the judges from on the Old Testament, there was not a one of those judges that I know of that lived very good lives. And yet they had nothing at all to do with the spirituality of the, of, of the nation. It was all political. And we often look at our president and vice president as the Messiah in chief. They're not. They're not perfect people. You'll never find a perfect person in government. 
Only one perfect man, his name was Jesus, and they crucified him. I'm not here putting, I, I tell you what, I, I've gone in those boat, the battling boats, and I've held my nose, and I've voted more times than not, holding my nose. But I'll tell you one thing, we better find out who we're voting for, because who we put on the Supreme Court benches, and who we put in federal benches, and so forth, it's going to affect my kids, and my grandkids, and yours the same way. If you call that political, then God help us all. But I think it's time we realize and stand up and say, you know what? We've got an awesome responsibility to support this. Amen. To support this. And I pray God that we do. I gotta hurry. Many claim to be born again, but many of them are socialist, ultra-liberal in their politics. Many have graduated from liberal universities and have gone to Sodom and Gomorrah schools as children. And no wonder children brought up in church are walking away after attending and been brainwashed many times and spoon-fed Darwinism and Marxism and all these ultra-liberal things. We've compartmentalized the secular and the sacred. But we're Christian wherever we are. I can say a lot there, I'm not going to. May I just say this? Every issue that we face in this world, God is covered in His Word. I heard one of the top leading Democrats the other day said back in 2016, I looked it up. And this particular individual says, we no longer need God. We have our particular party. We no longer need God. We have this particular political party. God help us. Yeah. Four governments, self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. We are responsible for government. But we want to put all the government over on the, 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 poli the politicians. I'm responsible for myself. I'm responsible for my family. We're responsible for the church. And bless God, we're responsible for our civil government. We are the people. Yeah. And we are to hold those people intact. In, 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 in Today, we no longer preach on sin. We're now victims of an illness. I'm no longer an adulterer. I'm, I'm a sex addict. I'm no longer a fornicator. I'm a sex addict. A victim. A victim is helpless and hopeless. Whereas a sinner can find strength forgiveness and reconciliation and deliverance. Yeah. And we're trying to legalize morality. We'll never stop racism politically. You get somebody turned on to Jesus and thank God the body of Christ is made up of black and white and red and yellow and anybody else that wants to join in. We're brothers in Jesus. Amen. You cannot legislate morality. It's not politically correct to rebuke today because it can damage somebody's self-esteem. Oh Friend, everybody's hurt today. No matter what you say, it hurt my feelings. Go to Lowe's, get a ladder, and get over it. <laughs> we don't want to offend people. I don't want to offend people. Have I been offended? Absolutely. Have you been offended? Absolutely. 
All the nuts are not hanging in the tree. Or you can't say, you can't call a sinner a sinner. Boy, you'll hurt them. I'd rather hurt a sinner by calling him a sinner that needs a Savior than have him stand before God one day and point that long bony finger in my face and say, why didn't you love me enough to warn me? Why didn't you care enough about me to tell me? Didn't Jesus rebuke Peter? Didn't Paul rebuke Peter? Didn't Paul tell Timothy to rebuke the church when needed? Their self-esteem survived it. The American family has been destroyed by the sexual revolution, subsidizing unwed mothers, and now unconstitutional rights that gives Americans the right for homosexuals to marry. America, we got to repent. Yes. The church is no longer relevant. We're more concerned about being liked and accepted in this world rather than upholding truth and righteousness. The church in the book of Acts turned the world upside down and they didn't care who knew it. Not anymore. We try to blend in with the world. Civil government is all that's left to take care of everything. Wouldn't Marx be proud? Yeah. Well, there's a better way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Religious people are not persecuted. Righteous people are. And American church has not done a whole lot in the last several hundred years to do much to be persecuted for. But friend, everything and everybody's coming out of the closet. They've got a cause. Do we not have a cause? Our founding forefathers, they had the Bible in one hand behind their pulpit and the gun in the other in order to preserve our nation and its credibility. I was talking to our brother, and he reminded me that during the early days of the church, walk down the road, and everybody would say, Caesar's Lord. Would Christians say, Caesar's Lord? And they would leave, they might leave him alone. But they go, no, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. They could kill him, burn him in oil, decapitate him, or feed him to lions. But rather than saying, Jesus is Lord, and meaning it, that, I think, is what's happened to America today. Let the church arise. I got to hurry. Let the church arise. May we hold our ground. May we go back and take back some ground that's been lost in years gone by. Jesus said, I'm coming back for a church. He's not coming back for a crowd. When Jesus talked about partaking of flesh and blood, the disciples left him. When the disciples talked about, when Jesus talked about a Christ, the disciples left him. He didn't come to build a crowd. He came to build a church. And the church may not be large. He's always been in the remnant business. And he'd rather have a group of people that sold out to him lock, stock, and barrel than those that profess it here and don't live it from here. Church, my hope today is not in the donkey. My hope today is not in an elephant. <laughs> my hope today is in the lamb Amen. whose blood was shed. And my hope is in the lion of the tribe of Judah who is coming back. Glory to God. Who's coming back. Amen. For a victorious church of which I want to be a part of. Yeah.